Hello, everybody. This is the Friendly Bear Podcast, where we interview some of the best and brightest traders in the trading community. Listen to inspiring stories and nuggets of insight from current and future game changers in the trading space. Listen and learn as we explore all types of trading niches with some of the best in the industry from a Friendly Bear point of view. Make sure to check out the Friendly Bear Podcast new YouTube channel called Friendly Bear Research, which includes all the podcast video content and supplemental screen shares. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. With that being said, I'm your host, David, a.k.a. Reverse Long, and this is the Friendly Bear Podcast. Let's dive in. What's up, guys? This is David, a.k.a. Reverse Long, and I'm here with Marcos Fernandez. Uh, he's one of the managing partners at Fiat Ventures. So, yeah, he's going to tell us all about it. So, yeah, how you doing, Marcos? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show, David. Uh, have been a longtime listener. Excited to be on it. Awesome, man. Awesome. Great to hear. Uh, so, yeah, let's start with uh, a background on yourself. Maybe you can give a little background how you got started with Fiat Ventures and just some, you know, a little backstory on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So it's um, a combination of a lot of luck and a lot of hard work, but probably mostly on the luck side. So, um, you know, I've known Drew and Alex, my two partners, for a long time um, and have seen the things that they've been building on their side at Fiat Growth. It's a consultancy that we've built out over the last five years. You know, we've worked with over 100 clients and driven over a billion in revenue. But about three, four years ago, you know, they started thinking about how do we take this access to information and turn it into investment opportunities? and was really part of those early conversations until about two years ago, we decided to really kind of step out and, and start the venture capital fund and do so with insights that we get from our consultancy and, and also just from our experience as operators. And David, I'll tell you one thing. I'm not like traditional VCs, right? Like I um, come from two parents who grew up in Mexico. I grew up myself on the border of Mexico and El Paso, Texas. I, I went to school, but not the most prestigious schools. And, you know, less than 2% of venture capital partners are Hispanic. And, and I take that as the biggest opportunity, not just for myself, but to open up opportunities for others behind me too. And I feel very fortunate to have two partners who feel the same, right? Is There's a huge focus uh, today on on trying to drive benefits to people across the board. But the number one tool for financial enablement and empowerment and mobility is financial technology. And a lot of the initial firms that were building for it were really focused on the top 10% and 1% of America. And now today we're seeing an incredible opportunity to serve the rest of that 90%. And again, financial technology is driving that, not just because it's the right thing to do, this isn't a not-for-profit, but there's a huge opportunity to do good and perform well at the same time. And that's really what we strive to do today. So to your question of how did I break into this, a lot of luck, but now that I'm here, um, I'm doing everything in my power to to make sure that we make the most of this opportunity and also open the door for as many people like ourselves and, and like others who want to break in as possible. So part of it is is weight creation as well. But for now, we're just doing the best we can to make sure that we make fiat growth and ventures, you know, the 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 top shops in the space. That's awesome. That's that's cool to hear that what you're doing with that because uh, for myself and I relate to that as well. I'm I'm Hispanic myself. My my mother's from Cuba. I was raised in Miami, and uh, yeah, you know when I broke into this space, which is a lot of luck involved with myself and my success myself with the trading and the markets. And uh, you know, I relate to that. Like I want to open up the door to people so that from you know, like that grew up like me in the Hispanic community in Miami and other places. I'm in LA now as well. 
and to show that it is, it is possible. You can, there is a lot of opportunity, especially in the U.S., uh, to be to to be be part of that really a uh, small percentage of people that succeed in in the in the financial space and all all types of financial areas. So yeah, it is cool um, to do that and to have people realize that that opportunity is there and. If they if if David can do it, if Marcos can do it, then you can too. You know, so I think that's really cool. That. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's super well said. And, and maybe to to walk down this road for for a quick second is, you know, it's it's really important for many reasons. But sometimes people think like, oh, it's getting better, and it absolutely is. But the gap is still so wide. And I know you probably see this on your side too. And the unfortunate reality is when there are less people being represented, at least in my space on the venture capital and private equity side, like when there's less uh, fund managers who are represented by that, the unfortunate reality is there are less founders who are backed by that type of capital too. And you're starting to see ESG programs or impact funds kind of step into the mix. And that's really helpful, but that's a small percentage of the total investment dollars going into the space. So really what we see as being an important part of really creating this generational change is continuing to find people who are investing in funds who have these beliefs and then putting that capital behind the founders who understand these backgrounds. Like the Davids of the world whose families from Cuba who grew up in Miami are like the Nestors who, uh, of the world who we've backed, who's you know based in Chicago and whose family's from Uruguay. So it's it's really part of this broader, broader swath. And Again, not just like a portion of my portfolio is dedicated towards impact funds. It's I want to put money behind these incredible people who understand these problems. And then they're going to go out there and create solutions that will be both both beneficial, but also financially sustainable and and, and, and accelerators. So I, I appreciate you saying all that. Awesome and awesome. And, it, you know, it's just not talked about much at all. So I think it's, it's good to touch on it uh, the way we can, you know, so. Um, all right. So with all that being said, what what uh, what about fintech? So what brought you into fintech or even before that? Let's talk about the founding story of Fiat. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my two partners, Drew and Alex, uh, really kind of came up with Fiat Growth and Consultancy and that that led to ventures. So Alex was the head of growth at Chime from Series A to D. You know, he, he kind of got into that space really early. Uh, Drew is at Namely and Steady, really focused on the, the benefit space and focusing on the gig economy. Uh, and then myself, I was at SoFi and then Ripple. So different aspects of fintech, but all really seeing the impacts and mostly how the next wave of innovation was going to cater to this broader swath of Americans. And, you know, they started co-advising some companies together. I was an early advisor to them, too. Uh, and when that went from like five to 10, they realized we got to quit our day jobs because there's just so much of an opportunity here. And they made that leap again about four or five years ago. I was an early advisor and kind of helped them co-advise. I was doing a lot of uh, advising on the side of my job and investing at the time as well. And over time, we started asking for rights to invest in companies we were working with and then turning around and taking the best companies to the venture capital funds in our network to say like, hey, you should really look at this. And they would make investments and those companies would take off. And after about a year of that, we were like, wait, like we're leaving so much money on the table. Like if we had our own pool of, uh, of capital instead of, you know, handing that off to people in our network, we could be making the investments ourselves. So it was a really organic transition to, you know, creating a dedicated pool of capital to invest in the companies and teams that we're working alongside. You know, fast forward in the two years of when we started, you know, we've now backed 27 companies, ha have deployed a lot of capital, raised 25 million in funds, and continue want to just create this flywheel. And in parallel, that growth consultancy has gone from, you know, our first 
say 40 clients now to over a hundred clients and the rights to invest in our access to information and trends and companies and founders is, has really accelerated too. So again, an organic beginning. And now we're just seeing this continued flywheel just, just take off and feel very fortunate to have that really kind of put us at the center of the fintech ecosystem as operators, as advisors, and as, as investors. Awesome. And to, okay. So how, how do you think fintech is the best tool to promote financial mobility and the competitive advantage fiat has being led by minorities and having a diverse portfolio? Yeah. Um, in the words of the Wu-Tang clan, cash rules everything around me. Right. And, and it's not just like, how much capital can I get today? but truly access to long-term generational wealth. And, and what I mean by that, um, access to mortgages, access to insurance, access to savings accounts and education around how to put capital away, not just as an adult, but as a teenager up until the point in which you're retiring. A lot of the challenges that we've seen here in the United States, particularly within these communities, unfortunately, historically had to do with a lot of intentional biases but today, it's not like banks are out there saying, nope, you don't get a mortgage because you live in a predominantly Hispanic community or pre- predominantly African-American community. It's because of the way that they have understood and underwritten risk that it changes the dynamics for who gets access to what where. And that unfortunate side effect of that is it's more expensive to be poor than it is to be rich. Again, that's not necessarily from a, a let me see the color of your skin or, or your name and I'll assign that today. But what it does mean is that if you fall within a category in a particular area, you're seen as being more risky. Now, what we found from a lot of the founders that we backed, that's not necessarily the case. Like I mentioned Nestor with with Sigo Seguros earlier, they're digitizing auto insurance for a lot of the Hispanic population in the U.S. who who are on the road. There's 50 million and there'll be 50 million more in the next 10 years. Traditionally, Hispanics have been underwritten differently because they're seen as a, a, a higher risk in an asset class. But when you actually look at the data, it's a much more careful uh, group of drivers with less incidents. And so they've redeveloped their underwriting model to better serve that category. By doing so, they can provide better rates. And they also attract customers at a fifth of the cost of traditional insurance carriers because they're speaking to them in a way that that they understand. That's just one example of many of the founders we've backed that have a deep understanding of their customers' struggles, and they can recreate financial service offerings to, to better serve that community. That makes a lot of sense. So what comes to mind, a couple of things there, uh, I know like redlining comes to mind, right? Is that like, you know, what, when you come for insurance? So like, is it, it's, it's a political thing, but it's like the, like it's, it's some communities suffer and they got to pay more. Like you said, it's, it's more expensive to be poor than it is to be uh, rich. And, um, and it's like, how, how do you start to, like, you know, improve yourself or try, you know, it's if you're in that hole and it's like, it's hard to, to cr- get out of it. You got to constantly crawl to get out. And I know because I, I've, I've, I've struggled myself for, um, when I was starting out and it was just hard. It was like a constant uphill battle until you finally, you know, overcome it. And, you know, it, it gets, it gets easier. It gets easier when you, <laughs> when you have money and when you start to experience success. But in the beginning, it's just so hard. It can be overwhelming. And uh, because of things like this, like you're you're just uh, like things that you can't control, like redlining or like insurance rates are higher because you, you you're Hispanic. But like the details are the stats are not really um, 
taken to like they're not detailed enough they're just a broad stat like okay uh, of hispanics but instead of like a you know certain areas or certain just really there's no depth to that to that stat you know um they just it's just like a broad term so like i don't know so is it like how do you think what do you think is a is a way to improve it you know just bring awareness and so like people you know, they're encouraged to really uh, get their stats correct, not just give a broad stat, you know, uh, or people want to so, like to confirm stereotypes or whatever, you know, but actually find be incentivized to go deeper into that stat and to to correct it. So that people are not screwed because like I, I know people get screwed. You know, you're in a, in a disaster. You're trying to be an entrepreneur. You're trying to improve yourself. You're doing all the right things. And you're just in this hole. It's never ending. And I know because I've been there myself, like when I'm like, uh, you know, just trying to be improved and trying to set out on this entrepreneur path, you know, and and having things uh, stacked against you. So I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, you said it right. Is um, one is, is that education is helpful and literacy is helpful. But at the end of the day, if the services that are actually available to that community aren't reflective of something they know and understand and trust, there's still going to be that gap. I can understand it, but I may still not trust my local bank. I, I still may not trust that the people were coming around. And, and sometimes again, in like those underserved communities, you're seeing a lot of payday lenders. You're seeing a lot of people going to their corner stores to get their financial services. And sometimes those are really predatory in an unfortunate way. So like you said, like financial technology is the number one driver for financial mobility because we're backing the founders who understand that, right? So they're not just building solutions that take on those, they're building them with their audience in mind and understanding the challenges. And with that, they're providing ways to learn about financial literacy or a particular topic. And the consumers on the other side are seeing founders who look and, and sound like them, whether that's from a gender or a demographic or even a geographical perspective. And that builds out a lot of trust, not just around the ability to then want to get educated and learn about a, a product, whether it's investing or insurance or banking, but actually use those products and see results in a positive way from that. And there's, there's, you know, both founders like the Seagull that we mentioned, but other tools like there's a Stellarfy company that we work with. They're providing the ability to build a credit score using your existing bills. So cell phone bill, rent payment, utility bill, and you can use that and it actually creates a positive impact on your credit score. A lot of people in, in urban areas are, are, are becoming really big fans of this particular product because it's a team that understands those challenges. And it also is beyond just education, actually is proactive in helping you get there. And that's that's the type of flywheel that we want to see from these companies. And again, these companies are going to be successful in their own rights. Like they're very good businesses to back from a fundamental like profit and, and revenue driving standpoint. But that's because they're now serving these communities that traditionally didn't trust the local Wells Fargo or the Bank of America or, or these these larger institutions that were seen as being either untrustworthy or, or unattainable. So that's just a couple examples of, of of how they're building for it. Awesome. That's that's really good to hear. So like uh increasing financial literacies for sure. And then also like having I know for me it helped uh, a few years ago uh when I was starting to get my credit uh I, I had goals for my credit. I did uh do that you know those there's a few services now these days that you can report your cell phone bill you can report your rent and you can mm -hmm. you can hit the ground running and in, in like that you know so that's a start you know as opposed to the past how do you get credit if you you know <laughs> how do you get started you know uh 
to be on the same league as as uh, someone that that uh, had financial um, examples from their parents in some other communities. You know, it's just it's it's unfortunate because, like you know, for example, for me, my parents are both immigrants. I had to learn how to do everything financial literacy after graduate school. I went to uh, university and I got my master's, and I still was financially illiterate. You know, so I had to many years afterwards and this is how i got started you know like through these fintech companies um like you okay. mentioned sofi and things like that like you have these apps and they explain is it oh okay now i can report my rent i can report my cell phone i can understand you know and it gives you like tips in in, in an almost gamified way um and i think oh. that i think that's great i think it's great you know because like that's you got to get started somehow you know, um, that's it. It's a perfect um, example to what I tell people is like, you can read a book on how to ride a bike and you can watch YouTube videos on how to ride a bike. You're not really going to get into wanting to ride a bike until you're up on those two wheels, feeling it for yourself and you're going to get better. And that's the same analogy for financial services is you can try to teach people about it. But to your point, like we'll take classes in school or maybe someone will try to walk you through it. But until you have those apps in your hands and you're interacting with the flow of money and the rewards of saving that's when you really ride that bike, right? That's when you, that's when true financial literacy takes hold. And so that's why, again, like FinTech is at the forefront of providing those opportunities to people who previously weren't being sought after as heavily. Um, so gets more people up on that, that money bike, I guess for, I'll think of yeah. a better analogy for the next one. Yeah. 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 It's like getting, getting on the bike. You got to get there somehow. You got to start with the tricycle and then like, you know, start riding it and get a feel for it. Then you can go on your own, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so so yeah, so with that, um, what is Fiat's unique structure across the VC and consultancy world and the value of embedding with portfolio companies? Yeah, I mean it's um there's a few different things, but um there was recently a, a TechCrunch article that we were lucky to get featured in that the title was Move Over Operators, Consultancies are the new VCs. And and we love that because that's that's what we see, right? Is like we're not just taking our old operating experience, having done this, we are actively working with anywhere from 35 to 45 clients at a given time, seeing what works from a marketing standpoint, customer acquisition standpoint, client retention standpoint, and then also seeing what are the business models that are working actively today. And you can take those learnings both to help other companies succeed, as well as make the best investment decisions possible. So understanding what are those next waves coming around the corner? What are those techniques or strategies that are working really well? We won't work with competitors, so it's not like we're turning from one to tell the other. But what it does help us is just get this broader sense of what's happening across the landscape in a very real way, like hands-on keyboard, seeing it like day in and day out. So that's really what gives us that unique advantage. And that's what helps us kind of turn around and think about, okay, what are the new service lines that we want to open up? Or on the venture side, what are the new like two or three markets that we know that we want to have exposure to from investments? Say we find one that we like, cool, who are one or two companies that we can work with? And then from that, we say, great, we either really like this or we don't. Let's start deploying capital in that area. So it really kind of helps us get our kind of our foot in the door and start testing opportunities before we ever have to deploy a check. And that's what we plan on continuing to build, right, is having our consultancy grow really organically and continue to scale. And then in parallel, our venture capital fund will continue to scale. And even over time, we'll think about programs to help entrepreneurs from the very earliest stages all the way to help them prepare for public offerings and 
again, it's, it's early days. We're still trying to focus on what's on our plate, but there are a lot of opportunities that we think about tomorrow just to really kind of help this flywheel drive and, and build out this ecosystem. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, Marcos, thanks for coming on the podcast and talking about this stuff. I think we covered a, a wide range of topics there and uh, we got to find out all about Fiat Ventures and the way um, you're going about that, you know, so I think it's really cool. And uh, it's been a pleasure connecting with you and uh, look forward to hearing back maybe in the near future. See what you guys are up to. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, David. And thanks for, for spreading the word on on financial services and fintech and everything else. Absolutely. Thanks, Marcos. I'll talk to you later. That concludes today's episode. Make sure to like and subscribe to the channel on the platform you use. The Friendly Bear Podcast is hosted by me, David, where you can find me on Twitter at reverse underscore long. You can find the Friendly Bear Podcast at www.thefriendlybearpodcast.com as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Amazon Music, and now on YouTube at friendly bear research until next time thank you for listening to the friendly bear podcast